0: Scripture passage this morning will be in 1 Peter chapter 4, first six verses, page number 1016 and the Bibles provided in the seats. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does.
1: I do encourage you to have a copy of God's Word open to that text that was just read for us there in First Peter chapter 4 as we're continuing on in our First Peter series. The last week we had some challenging uh, portions to cover and then uh, this week there's a couple of phrases in there that maybe stood out to you like, oh, what does that mean? So uh, hopefully we'll get some understanding as we go as we go through uh, go through this today, together today. Uh, first, you know, a couple weeks ago uh, was my birthday, and someone in the church uh, gave me these socks. If you can't see them, there's candy corn on them. So I'm giving, you know, I wore them. So there we go. I appreciate it so much. So, you know, when I was a kid, my brother and I, we went through this... Uh, probably just like a lot of boys do, it was a survival kind of kick, you know, Um, where, you know, we had read the Hardy Boys, and it seemed like they were always in some, you know, life-threatening situation or something, and so we, you know, we wanted to be part of that. And so I remember both of us, we we bought backpacks from the thrift store, and it's big backpacks, and we bought, you know, some space blankets, remember those, and put those in there. We even had knockoff Swiss Army knives, you know, Mine had the spoon and the fork on it, you know, so the things are matters, like, you know, things are really important to have on a Swiss Army knife, and I remember we even, like, uh, put the tent in the backyard, and we got this tiny little tent, and, and we roughed it a little bit to kind of get used to that or whatever, you know, uh, two city kids were never more delusional about survival than me and my brother, <laughs> but we thought we were ready. Right, we, we 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 were gonna survive. We 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 could be, you know, ready to be, you know, roughed out in the woods and, and things like that. Um, you know, surviving is something that we we don't really think about a whole lot in a lot of ways, and sometimes it's just kind of just you know daily life. I think this text is helpful in the situation for where we find ourselves. I know, obviously, it was helpful for the original audience that Peter was writing to. Now, remember, Peter's writing to a group of people who were going through persecution. And they were being they were being persecuted for good. This wasn't as a result of sinful decisions and things like that, that they were dealing with bad consequences. No, they were following Christ, but then there was things that were happening they were losing property they were probably losing jobs they were losing relationships and so they were dealing with all this persecution so peter's writing this letter and we see this right from the beginning this theme is always going through is he's he's trying to equip them and he's trying to help them deal with this in their lives and one way to put it this way is this in this text is where i believe that he's helping us understand is this is that to survive this life we must think like christ okay to survive this life we must think like Christ. I believe that that's really what he's getting at and the essence of this. There's only one command in, in this passage that we read that was read to us in verses one through six. There's one imperative and that uh, comes with in, in, in verse one there, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. And so to survive this life and all the challenges and all the difficulties and all the things that may come its way, we have to, we must think like Christ. So we're gonna unpack this, that statement, in fact, that's really going to be our two main points uh, this morning as we go through this uh, text here is about surviving this life and thinking like Christ. But let me pause, ask God's blessing and his enablement, and then we'll, we'll dive into this, all right? Father, thank you that we have the passage that has been read to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, thank you that it is that your spirit uses your word to convict hearts and um to challenge our thinking and to encourage souls guys and so we're, we're asking for all of that today we're asking for all of that today where we would be simultaneously challenged and convicted but also encouraged and built up and and only you can do that and and you you use your word for that uh, in, in, a, in a primary way and so as we have the opportunity to look at this text for the next few minutes here i pray that i would be able to communicate in a way that is helpful to those who are who are listening but, but even more important, I pray that it would be accurate to what this text actually says and the intention behind the text. And I need your spirit's enablement for that. We all need your spirit's enablement to keep us focused and to, to not be distracted. And there's a lot of things that are, are, are wanting to, to take our thoughts and our affections uh, and our attention right now. And so I pray that we'd be able to put those things aside, that we would be able to focus in on what you have for us uh, based on this text here. So again, we're just asking for your spirit to guide us. And at the end of the day, we pray that uh, you would be glorified and honored by the time we spend together today. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Okay, first of all, to survive this life, we must think like Christ. Okay, so, so what what do I mean by surviving this life? Now, when he says here in verse four, he talks about, or excuse me, in verse one, he says, "Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking." So, since Christ suffered in the flesh, and and this is the theme that he's covered uh, in chapter three, verse eighteen, he says, "For Christ also suffered once for uh, sins." He's been talking about Jesus's suffering here, uh, really all throughout this, as a way from the beginning of the. Uh, uh, towards the end of chapter 2, he, he's really had this idea of, of Jesus suffering here and uh, uh, as a way for us to find hope and to find encouragement here, okay? Um, here, here, here's what I mean by this. Let me, let me put this phrase this way, okay? You and I, we are in a war where the prize possession is your mind, okay? We are in a war right now where the prize possession is your mind. So I mean, you know, when wars happen, typically it happens because someone has something that someone else wants. Whether it could be uh, a piece of land, whether it could be uh, riches, or, or it could be uh, uh, natural resources or whatever, something to do. One country will invade another country, or they'll go to war because that other country has something that they want. Typically, sometimes it's to remove threats and things that they had. I get it that there's other portions for it, other reasons for it. But in the main, wars happen or conflict happens because someone else has something that someone else wants. And so in this world where we live today, there is a huge battle for the mind. Because people understand intuitively that if you can control someone's thinking, you control their actions. Because every action begins with a thought. And so if you have, if you have control over how someone thinks, then you are going to dictate what they're going to do and you're going to have a huge impact on what they're going to do and so where we're at right now we're in this battle where the we're the the arena and the prize possession that's the unique thing about it it's, it's not just the possession but it's also the battlefield is our minds okay you say you know man, jeremy you seem to be kind of taking this a little extreme or seem that seems like a, a a a pretty bold thing to say but look how peter writes this This is like a unique way of him putting this. He says, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking, okay? And so this is what he's saying here. The word arm there has this idea of military preparedness or equipping, getting ready for battle. That's what this word means. And so what Peter is saying here, he's saying, if you want to be ready for the war, if you want to be ready for the battle, you have to arm yourselves with how the same way of thinking of Jesus Christ. Now, I was trying to do just a little bit of research for illustration. I was like, you know, uh, in military preparedness and armament, I was, I was like, what are the, some of the most um, uh, armed ships in our Navy? Well, the Iowa-class battleship is one of the most heavily fortified uh, ships in history really uh, that we 've ever put to sea because they 're constantly developing more onboard weaponry they 're constantly adding new things to it i mean and here 's just the picture of them in, in, in an exercise of an iowa class battleship uh, uh, launching some of their uh, their turrets or their guns out there and you could just see the the, 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 the effect on the water that is, is that I mean these are just massive Massive guns and things like this around the ship, and I don't know if you've ever been on a battleship before. These are massive. You stood in front of a cannon. My um, my niece, she's in the Navy, and we were in Pearl Harbor, and we we were you know toured some ships and things like that. You know, in Pearl Harbor there, and just these cannons are just massive. That are on these uh, these ships and the in, in the armament that they have, or or you see the size of an aircraft carrier and wh- how many they they hold. You know what about a hundred planes and 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 jets and, and helicopters and whatnot and all the 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 armament they have there. So. This is this idea that Peter is talking about here. He's saying, listen, you're in a battle. You need to be militarily prepared for where you're at. And he says the way to be prepared is to think a certain way. And so what that tells me is that the battle is in the mind. The greatest weapon that we have that that, that he is saying for us to use here is our minds. But you see, we live in a society that just unfortunately doesn't think too well. And, and we are very susceptible to that. It's easy to fall into really some, some bad thinking. I mean, public discourse is at an all-time low. Um, dialogue is just simply shot down. Um, one of the things that grieves me, every time that there's an election and you, you kind of see the debates that are happening, and it, it just is always, it, it's unfair to, to everybody. And again, this isn't one side or the other. It's just, you know, they'll ask a question. They'll say things like, okay, you know, we have this national debt of how much and all this and everything. We've got all this. And it lists like four or five of these major problems. And they're like, how should we solve this? You have 30 seconds. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's like, who could really come up with any meaningful answer in the 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes at all? You can't. All this is structured as about sound bites and things like that. And it's just not helpful at all. We live in a society where thinking is not really well. A uh, disagreement is characterized as hate speech or being phobic. Anger, temper is replacing civil dialogue. People confuse their ideas with someone's identity. And so there's this time where we live in where I just believe that we really need to be people who are thinking well. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. You say, okay, Jeremy, this is kind of a soapbox for you on. But no, the Bible has a lot to say about this here. Uh, I just put just a few references up there that you, you can see. Let me just, let me just uh, uh, mention a few of these. So Romans chapter 12 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of what? Your mind, right? Renewing of your mind. Philippians chapter 4 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent or anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Think, it says. Ephesians chapter 4 says that we're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Later on in chapter 2, just a few verses later, he continues to say, have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The next chapter in Philippians, in chapter 3, let those of us who are mature think this way. And then in the book that we're in right now, 1 Peter 1, 1, first Peter 4, and 1 Peter 5, we see this command over and over again, be sober-minded. We see it three times in this book here. Even the great commission that we see in Matthew chapter 28, where it says, go and make disciples of all nations. How? Teaching them is part of the way we do that. Even the, what we consider the great commandment of Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus was asked, he says, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and what? Oh, your mind right so the bible has a lot to say and this is just a small sampling of of what the bible has to say about the mind and it is so important that we think well and not just think well but we think biblically we have got to have our minds be saturated with the scriptures here and we think biblically so of all people we should be the best thinkers now i don't now, now I understand what i'm saying there i'm not saying that we should have the highest iq I'm not saying that we should be the most intelligent or things. That's not what I said. I said we should be the best thinkers. And do you know what makes the best thinker? is someone who's saturated in truth. That's what makes someone the best thinker. Because they're not, they're not being deceived by falsehood. They're not being deceived by, by, by lies. Because of the truth. And if as Christians, we have access to the truth. The scriptures are the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth in the life. We, of all people, should be the best thinkers because of our access to the truth. So saturating oneself with truth makes for a healthy mind. But unfortunately, we live in a world that is passionate about normalizing sin. Okay? Then where are you getting this? Okay, look at the text. It says, with respect to this, this, is in verse 4, okay, he says, uh, don't live the way the Gentiles do. He gives a whole list there, verse 4, when we come back to some of this. He says, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. I mean, we live in a world that just wants to normalize, It's very passionate about sin. And so they're actually, to, 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 to normalizing sin, and, and they're surprised when we say that that's wrong, or we're surprised when we say we're not going to do that. I mean, sexuality, I mean, sex before marriage, I mean, it, it, it's like almost assumed in our culture today, well, listen, you, you, uh, of course you guys are, uh, you're having sex before marriage. Of course you are. But the Bible says don't do that. The Bible says be pure. The Bible says to, 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 to protect that for the marriage bond. But it just seems like it's just normal in society. Or experimenting with drugs. It's like, oh, of course. You know, I mean, you know, when you're young, you're going to try things. Like, it's like it's just normal. Well, no, why is that normal? It shouldn't be normal. Overindulgence or dependency on alcohol. Uh, this is another one. Disobedient children. That's just a kind of a norm a given in society today. Well, they're going to be... Or teens are going to be rebellious. I, 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 it's almost like there's this idea in society that once teens... Once children get to teenagers, well, you know, just they're going to be rebellious and you just got to kind of endure it. Why is that? It shouldn't be that way. Now, some of you are thinking right now, uh, spoken like someone who doesn't have a teenager. <laughs> All right? Now, I called you out because I know some of you are thinking of that. All right? But it doesn't negate my point. I've spent a lot of time with teenagers. And I've spent a lot of time as a youth pastor. And I got one that's right on the cusp of being a teenager. And I, I get it, okay? And I get it. Now, notice I didn't say that... Some of those rebellious things should never come up, okay? I think as kids get older and they get independent, and and that usually happens around the teen years, yeah, they are going to push against things like that. I'm not saying that should never happen. But what I am saying is that as parents, we shouldn't just say, okay, this is going to happen. And we just ignore it disobedient children. I mean, that's the world we live in. It's like, well, kids are going to be kids and teens are going to be teens. Well, no, that's why God's given us a responsibility. And again, you know, listen, it's tough being a parent. I get it. There are so many times and I look at all the failures that I've done as a parent. And so I, I get it. I understand. But all I'm arguing for, I'm not arguing that our kids need to be perfect. What I'm arguing for is that we shouldn't just give it up and just say, well, that's just the normal way. No, it's not normal. That's not what God asks us to do as parents, okay? Gender, sexuality choices, our identity, things like this, our anger, venting, all that is just considered normal. It's like, well, yeah, it's okay. Uh, Dishonesty in certain areas, you know, on taxes or whatnot and things like just not being truthful in some things, you know, all that is just considered normal. And I could go on and on and on. But I think you get the point here is that we live in a society where uh, normalizing sin is actually very, very intentional and it's very passionate, uh, is a passionate pursuit and that's why it says here they're surprised when you don't join them in this so so how do how do we respond to this okay what would be some applications for this well first of all what i would say is that if we're going to make sure that we, we we're living in and we accept the fact that we're living in a war zone where the prize possession and even the battlefield is our mind what can we do about that number one i would say limit mind numbing uh, uh distractions okay and we are all prone to this This is one of the reasons why social media, you can just keep scrolling, you know, to infinity. It's easy to just kind of get lost in it. Is it wrong to be on social media? Absolutely not. That's not my point. Uh, It's easy just to keep watching the next show on Netflix, right? The next one, the next episode loading. It's just so nice. Isn't it so nice? I mean, you don't even have to click a button. You know, the show ends. And you don't even have to go through. I mean, they even have, like, skip intro. That's the best button ever invented you know skip intro okay and you just get right to it and you just go to the next one and the next one is there anything wrong with watching your favorite program be, probably not depends what's in the content of it but that's a whole other discussion it's for you to decide but the point is is that uh if we're gonna be good thinkers and if, if the battle um a uh, battlefield is our mind we should limit, again, I didn't say don't do any of it, but limit the mind-numbing distractions because that's what, it's, that's what these are designed to do. They're designed just, we don't have to think much. And I get the appeal to that. There's of times because of the nature of my job and I'm constantly reading, constantly studying, I, I, I tend to work uh, the mental muscles more than the physical muscles. And you're like, yeah, that's obvious. Okay, all right. So I tend to do that uh, uh, a little bit more. So I get it. You come home and you're just mentally tired. I get that. And it's, it's like, I just need to, a break. I am not arguing that you shouldn't have a time. Okay, we're just gonna sit down and just enjoy a show or something like that. But what I am saying is that we gotta just be cautious that we don't go to that too often. And remember, I preach sermons I need to hear okay, it's easy for me to just say, you know what, I'm tired mentally, I've had a long day of this, it's been tough with this, I've had this difficult conversation, I'm just going to check out. I just got to be very careful in that moment, because I can easily get into bad habits in that moment. And so I'm sharing that, because I know it's true of me, and I'm pretty sure it's certain of you, it's true of you as well. Okay, so limit those mind numbing ha- distractions. Secondly, avoid isolation. Avoid isolation. Now, again, um, uh, I, the older I get, the more of an introvert I become. And so I, I, I understand the idea of just needing alone time and all that stuff. But the point is is that a lot of times we, we, we crave isolation so much that we get into an echo chamber in our own thinking. All right? And it's never vetted. It's never it's never challenged in some ways, and if someone does challenge our thinking, we take it as a personal attack. And so, avoid isolation. Right? Um, this should not be something that 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 we we constantly crave all the time, because that's where. Uh, w- we, we never get our thinking checked in, in isolation here. Moving on, immerse ourselves in, with the scriptures, okay? We have to have a steady intake of the scriptures. This is why it's important for you to be reading your Bibles. This is why we say open your Bibles so you can see this in the text in front of us here. He's saying arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So however Christ thinks is how we should be thinking here. And I'm just making the case in this first half of the sermon that we need to take very seriously of how we think. That's the point I'm trying to make right now, is you need to think about how you think, okay? All right? You need to make that a priority of saying, okay, am I someone who is biblically thinking? Do I put effort into thinking well? And again, I'm not talking about academics. I'm not talking about IQ. I'm not talking about intelligence. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about um, your idea of like how do you process information? How do you vet what comes into your mind? The things that you watch, the things that you see, do, are those discussions that you have with your children at home and say, "Okay, how is this line up with the scriptures?" You see a theme in a movie? Do you talk about that and say, "Okay, how did this theme play out here? How was this helpful? How was this not helpful?" Do you think about something? You say, man, Jeremy, all I want to do is I just want to sit down with a bowl of popcorn and watch a movie. The whole point of it is so I don't think. <laughs> I get that, but just limit that, okay? And In our family, we don't dissect every movie and every TV show that we see. We don't. But when things do come up, you know, we're watching a, a, an old TV show right now. It's on DVD, and we're watching every so often. We'll watch an episode of an older show. And... Um, in the, one of the episodes recently, there's a character, as a teenage boy, he has a girlfriend, and he starts, you know, uh, re- a relationship with another girl while he's in this relationship. We talked about that. He said, that's not good. That's not good. You don't do that type of stuff. You know, I mean, those are things that you just talk about, those things, because we want to guard our thinking in that. Okay, immerse our minds with the scripture, and then you know, we test our thinking. We test what we're thinking here. This is the way that, that we don't just assume that we're thinking right on stuff. Do you ever ask someone, hey, am I thinking about this correctly? Or do you just assume you're right? You see, it's easy to get into the echo chamber in our mind. And this is one of the reasons, let me just put a plug in for reading, okay? This is why we read books, so that we can challenge our thinking and say, okay, well, this person said this. So don't look at, when you read a book, don't look at it as like an information download, by the way, okay? Look at it as you're entering into a conversation with the author. So uh, you're reading this, and he's saying this, or she's saying that. So is that true? How does that story scripture? What about this? I mean, if you look at my books, a lot of times you'll see like little question marks in the margins. Because what that meant is as I'm going through, I'm like, I don't know. I need to think more about that or whatever. So it's not information download, it's dialogue that's happening, but it's testing your own thinking on some of these things, okay? So this is why we strongly recommend Adult discipleship of Sunday School, Awana, small groups, micro groups, getting together as one or two people. This is the reason why we say that you do this. Why? Because in every one of those groups, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure we're thinking biblically. And so when you get together with an accountability partner, with a small group or a micro group or something like that, what, you, what should you be doing? You should be testing your thinking. You should be having dialogue about that. And, and don't do it in a way that, that is so much about, like, oh, man, you know, uh, if someone disagrees with me, then I take that personally. Uh, no, it doesn't have to be that way because the goal is for us to think biblically because the point here, the main command here in this text here is arm yourselves with thinking, okay? But not just any type of thinking. We have to think like Christ. So that's the second half, Okay. The second half here is we must think like Christ, okay? So what I'm not suggesting here is that we just become this huge, you know, we try to be, you know, intellectuals and, you know, we all, you know, get pipes and, you know, sit around and, you know, talk with each other and, you know, what do you think about that? I don't know about that. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I am saying is that we have to be people who are committed to thinking like Christ, okay? Now, how does he do that? How do we see that? And we come to this more in the text here, okay, of how to think like Christ. How did he think? Well, first of all, the first thing I want to point out this morning is that he believed that it's better to suffer than to sin. That's what Jesus believed. It was better to suffer than to sin, okay? Now, how do I know that? Well, look at this text. This is one of the, the first that might be a little bit difficult, okay? It says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves. So there's his the suffering. Arm yourselves in the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What is that talking about? That's saying, okay, so if someone is persecuted, then that means they're sinless. Is that what the text is teaching? Nope. Is that what the text is teaching? All's Peter is saying here is he's saying that the proof that they have made the decision not to sin in this situation or whatever, that they've said, I'm going to not sin, I'm going to obey God, the proof of that decision is that they are suffering for it. That's all he's saying. He's saying, because that you are suffering for doing good, that means that you've made the decision here not to sin. That's what he's saying here. So it's like with Jesus here, he says he chose to obey, he chose to obey the Father, and so he suffered for it. That's what verse 2 is about. So as long as, uh, as so, uh, excuse me, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Okay? So it is better to suffer than to sin here. And the in, in Jesus, he lived that out. He said, okay, I'm going to obey the Father. I'm going to obey the Father's plan. And he knew that that was going to mean that he was going to incur, incur suffering to the point where he died, where he even died for us. He died because he was obeying the Father's plan here. Now, how does that relate to us? Well, when we resist temptation, or we're trying to resist temptation, it often feels like suffering. It feels like we're giving up something that is good or is something that we really want. And it feels bad. It's like, so we really want whatever it is, the temptation, you fill in the blank, okay? Think about whatever temptation that kind of is constantly nagging at you, okay? Whatever that is, whether that's the approval of people, whether that's, um, you, know, uh, you, you know, sexual things, whether that's alcohol, whether that's drugs, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Whatever the temptation is that, that constantly is, is, is plaguing you, when you're trying to resist that, think how that feels. It feels like suffering. It feels like you're, you're, you're denying yourself something that you think in that moment is what you really, truly need and truly want. Even though the fact that if you take a step back, you probably know that it's not good to do this. You know that. But in that moment when temptation is so strong, it actually feels like you're suffering by saying no to this, okay? And so the point is it, well, it is better to suffer than to sin in that situation. But more so than that is that when we do sin, it does lead to suffering. And we're going to we see this when he promises that they're going to be judged for this later on here. So. Um, uh, there, there's this pressure of all the time uh, uh, where it feels like we get this pressure to think in a different way than God, okay? And then that, that, that invites actually suffering as well. So not only does resisting temptation feel like suffering, but then when we do resist temptation, it actually invites suffering into our lives. And some of you experienced this. Uh, some of you have, have, have been... Have been have, uh, uh, You know, maybe there's a family situation or something like that where where choices are made, and then you're you're, you're pressured to go along with that. What do you do? How do you respond to that? Think like Christ. It's better to suffer than to sin. That's what guided his thinking. And if we're going to survive this world, if we're going to survive this battle, this war zone that we're in, we have to embrace this concept that Jesus believed. He says, I'm going to choose to suffer rather than to sin. Um, uh, there's, there's the pressure of, uh, of maybe not uh, being committed to, to following Christ because uh, other things are going to, to come up in the schedule, uh, sports related or something like that, it's like, oh, you're going to let the team down if you don't do this or whatever yeah, there's a lot of pressure there so trying to do the right thing it, it invites suffering it really does but if we're going to survive this, we have to think like Christ here, obeying God is often difficult. We have to believe that. We have to know that and embrace that. We see this in verse 2. We see to live for the rest of our time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. It's difficult. What, the life that God has called us to live starts with biblical thinking. It's very, very difficult. Now, a thing that we often forget about Jesus, because we are people who want to make sure that we hold high what is known as the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is God. He is equal with the Father. And we, we do need to make sure that that is very clear in our preaching, in our teaching, in our doctrinal statements. The fact that Jesus is God is crucial and it is uh, foundational to uh, biblical understanding of, of who Jesus is. In the process of that, however, we often forget about his humanity We often forget about the fact that he, his incarnation, when he became human, he he became literal human. And so he dealt with, as Hebrews talks about, he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 5 that is very intriguing. It says this in Hebrews chapter 5. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Try to get your mind around that. Okay, so Jesus, he, even though he was the son of God, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So it's easy for us to say, okay, yeah, of course I'm going to speak like Jesus. I mean, he, he was God, right? But don't forget the fact that in his humanity, he had to make those same difficult decisions every day to obey the Father just like you do. Just like I do. and and so that's actually very encouraging to me so when Jesus is saying I'm going to equip you I'm going to help you you can depend on me you still have to make those decisions you still have to do that but I am right there with you he understands how we feel he understands the power of temptation he understands how difficult it is and so we don't have a God who says we can't look at God and say you just don't know how it is you just don't get us you don't know how difficult this really is Jesus says no I do I do understand and if we're going to survive this life, we've got to think like Jesus Christ. We've got to embrace the fact that it's better to suffer than to sin. There's a second thing, though, that I see how Jesus thought here is that, is that we have to understand that suffering for good does not equal God's displeasure okay suffering for good does not equal god's displeasure so this is the reason why peter brings up Jesus' suffering so since christ suffered in the flesh arm yourself with the same way of thinking okay so he says that the suffering that you're receiving because they were doing good the suffering they were receiving um, was not because god was upset with them or that they were doing something wrong Okay? So the fact that Jesus was suffering in the flesh, the reason why Peter brings this up is says, okay, Jesus also suffered. So you know it's not because God was, was angry. You know it's just because it, it wasn't because Jesus did something wrong, right? And so this proves that suffering for good does not equal God's displeasure. Now, a part of their suffering could be that they were wondering if they misunderstood something about Jesus. Okay? Acts chapter 1. We see the text there where Jesus uh, gives that uh, last kind of statement there. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the outermost parts of the earth. Remember that? So he, he gives that command, and then what happens? He ascends into heaven. He goes in heaven. Eleven disciples looking up there. They're watching him go up there. And what happens? There, does anyone remember what happened right then? A couple angels appear. And what do they say to the disciples? Remember? Why are you looking up there? You know, what are you, why are you gazing up there? And then they said this, the one who just ascended will come back in the same way. And Jesus had said in John chapter 14, you remember, he said, I am going to prepare a place for you and I will do what? What does he say? Come back. Okay. So, the disciples the first century church i mean this initial church that was just getting started here they see jesus ascend and they're expecting jesus to come back very quickly like probably tomorrow so jesus goes and they're like okay we got to get going and so he's not back and maybe they thought it was like a month or so because they had a little job to do but they're like okay jesus is coming back well as months turns into years things got very difficult for them. In fact, some of them were wondering, did they misunderstand something about this? And that really came into play when these Christians started dying and Jesus hadn't come back yet. How do I know this? The, last, uh, the book of Thessalonians, Paul deals with this question to the Thessalonians. He says, I want you to know, I don't want you to be ignorant about this of those who are falling asleep. He says, they haven't missed it. They haven't. In our text here, it says it's the same thing. In verse 6 here, this is one, the, kind of the second difficult part of this. He says, for this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead. I think the NIV gets it right when they insert the word now there. They made an interpretive decision, and I think that it was the right interpretive decision. It says, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, that though judged in the flesh, they suffered, they were martyred probably for their belief the way that people are, that they might live in the Spirit the way that God does. What Peter's doing here, he's reinforcing Paul's lesson that just because someone dies before Jesus comes back doesn't mean they missed something. Doesn't mean that they, uh, that they, were, miss, they, they were missing out. Uh, you say, well, Jeremy, are you sure that that's what Peter was saying? I am sure because in 2 Peter, he says this. He says this in 2 Peter. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind, that's an important word, right? By way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And so one of the things that he's dealing with them, he's saying that people are going to scoff, people are going to malign you, that's the word he uses in 1 Peter. And one of the ways that they're going to do that is they're going to say, you know, Jesus said he's coming back, and he hasn't come back, and people are dying, and he hasn't come back. What does that mean for them? Well, Peter's answering here, he says, well, that means they're going into eternal life, but it doesn't mean that they've missed something or the the suffering they're going through is God's displeasure. One other proof of this is the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, why was the book of Revelation even written? Revelation was written and you can get into a whole lot of studies on what Revelation is about and all the different symbolism and things like this. But as long as we understand what the main purpose of the book is, we're going to be okay. The main purpose of the book is that John is the last apostle alive. Okay, All of them have died John, does anyone remember where John was when he wrote the book of Revelation? Where was he? Yeah, Patmos. Very good. So he was on the island of Patmos. Okay? What was he doing there? Vacation? No. He was exiled. Okay? So he was dealing with persecution. And tradition, church tradition says that one of the ways that he suffered is they dipped him in boiling oil. And so there was a lot of things that were happening to them. And so then there's a prophecy that comes. And he's told to send these letters to seven churches that were in existence during that time. And the essence of the whole book of Revelation is this, is that persecution is ramping up. And it was ramping up in 90 AD. It was ramping up. And it's going to get worse. And I know that I haven't come back yet. But just understand, I am coming back. Jesus is telling John. I am coming back. I'm going to set all things right. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But I am coming back to set all things right. And then the new heavens, the new earth, new Jerusalem will be there. There will be eternal life forevermore. It's happening. It will happen. It was a reassurance that they had not missed out on God's promise. It was a reassurance that God was not displeased with them in allowing suffering to happen. That's what's happening here and this is how we think like Christ. We think like Christ saying, okay, just because I'm going through a difficult situation doesn't mean that God's angry with me. And the reason why I bring this up is because that's where our minds always first go. I don't get what I wanted. What did I do wrong, God? Why are you upset, God? Why didn't you do this, God? Peter, Let Peter's letter remind you today that that doesn't necessarily mean. Now, it could mean that if you go through difficult things that God is displeased, but that's not for doing good. And that's the limitation of this text. those who are trying to follow God, but yet bad things are happening to them. It doesn't mean that God is displeased. So you want to think like Christ, the battle zone is the the mind right here. We have to think like Christ, and that means that we believe that we don't fall into the trap that suffering for good equals God's displeasure because it does not. One final way of thinking like Christ, the way to think like Christ, is that we rest in God's justice. Verse 5 of this text, it says... Okay, well, let me go to verse 4. Talk about these Gentiles and things that they want to do. All these different sins that are listed there. Uh, sexual sins, uh, uh, alcohol abuse, idolatry. These are things that are mentioned there. Verse 4, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They're going to give an account. So... This is how we think. We, we, we don't feel like we have to take vengeance. We don't feel like that we have to prove everything because we think like Christ and we trust God's justice. Now, some of you may be looking at the text here. You may be saying, Jeremy, where are you getting that from? Where are you getting the fact that Jesus thinks this way? I, I don't disagree with you, but where, where, where do you get that from the text? Well, I don't get it from here. I get it from chapter 2, verse 23. I'll put it on the screen for when he was reviled, he, Jesus, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. And so this is why Peter, he's building off the example of Christ in chapter 2, bringing that into here and saying, just like Jesus understood this idea of of God's entrusting himself to the one who judges justly, you too can just understand the fact that they will give an account so you can trust God's justice in this, rest in God's justice in in the midst of suffering and difficulties. I think this verse here, for me personally, Chapter 2, verse 23 of the book of 1 Peter is one of the most liberating verses that I have come across. I come back to this a lot when I feel like I've got to defend myself or I feel like something's happening or whatever or or something's out of control. You entrust yourself to one who judges justly. What if you're in a situation where you don't know the truth the truth just is evading you. You just don't know what the truth is in the situation here. And there's really no way of knowing. How do you deal with that? How can you deal with that and not you know, have, you know, get all worked up into a lather? What well, you entrust into the one who judges justly. Knowing that truth prevails. Knowing that God is the God of truth and truth will always prevail. And it may take time. It may take years. It may take even time after our time on earth is gone. But God will always judge justly. God will always judge justly and we can rest in that. And so as we're dealing with this people here who are going through a difficult time, going through suffering, going through persecution here, what does Peter say? He says, just understand that God will, they will have to give an account to them and they will judge them. so you can just rest in God's justice. So we started this sermon by saying this. To survive this life, we must think like Christ. And I hope that as we've walked through this, it's been challenging to us that we understand it truly is better to suffer than to sin. Okay? That's how Jesus thought. He was going to, be obey, he was going to obey the Father no matter what, understanding that that was going to cause discomfort, understanding that it was going to invite an uncomfortable life. The problem is, is so many times all we are is about finding the most comfortable life as possible, that we slip into choosing sin over suffering. Suffering for good does not equal God's displeasure, and we rest in God's justice.